My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to episode two of the creative disruption season of the 21st Century Creative, where we are hearing stories from creatives around the world who came up with a creative response to the challenges of the pandemic. This week, we are off to South Africa to hear from Earl Abrahams, an artist and filmmaker who likes to get up close with his subjects by walking and skating the streets of Johannesburg, sometimes even hitching rides on the traffic as he captures the life of the city on his skates. But all that came to an abrupt end in early 2020, when a strict lockdown saw Earl confined to his apartment block. He responded by making his camera his window on the world, a way of reimagining his surroundings in a series of lockdown images that represented a new direction in his work. Listen to Earl's interview today for an inspiring story of how art can be not only a refuge and a consolation, but also a solution at a time of crisis. On a personal note, there has obviously been quite a gap between seasons five and this one. But rest assured, I have been very active on other fronts. So this week, I will give you a brief update on my activity as a poet. And later in the season, I will tell you about other aspects of my work. So my biggest new project is my poetry podcast, A Mouthful of Air, which I launched almost a year ago. And, you know, I know it might feel like the poetry podcast has delayed the 21st century creative, but actually, it's the other way around. You see, right from the beginning, back in 2017, I had the vision of two podcasts working together. The 21st century creative would give the wide-angle view of creativity across all the different art forms and creative industries. And it would focus on the things that all these different fields have in common. The creative factors, the human factors, the career and business factors. And then the poetry podcast would get very specific and focused about one art form, my own art form. And that would open up a different window onto the creative process. <laughs> but one thing I hadn't reckoned on back in 2017 was how much work is involved in designing and launching and running and promoting a podcast. So it was several years before I got round to launching the poetry show. And I am very glad that I have both of them out there now. So if you'd like to check out A Mouthful of Air then you will hear a different side to me. Half the episodes are interviews, but the other half are me reciting poems and enthusing about them. 
So you will hear me reading everything from love poetry to nonsense verse, to sentimental Christmas poems and soaring epic poetry, and quite a lot in between. I recently did a couple of speeches from plays by Christopher Marlowe and Shakespeare, so that stretched my acting capabilities quite a bit. So if you are already a poetry lover, I think you'll find plenty to enjoy on the show. And I'm delighted that I'm also hearing from listeners who don't normally read poetry, who are telling me it's opening the door for them. Here's one of my favourite responses, which the podcaster Kay Locke Culp sent to her newsletter readers. I have always run screaming from poetry, but I've learned so much from a mouthful of air about form and why poets write. I've also learned some profound lessons about myself and the power of human speech. And I was recently very encouraged to see that Podcast Review, one of the biggest review sites for podcasts, published by the Los Angeles Review of Books, had selected A Mouthful of Air as one of the nine best podcasts for poetry lovers. They gave the podcast a really great review. It was actually so good, I would blush to repeat it here. But if you would like to read it, you will find it at podcastreview.org in an article titled The Nine Best Podcasts for Poetry Lovers. I'll talk more about A Mouthful of Air in the final episode of this season. But for now, if you're curious about what poetry could add to your life and how it could complement what you learn from this podcast, do check out A Mouthful of Air wherever you get your podcasts. Apart from the podcast, I have been writing poems and sending them out. I've had poems published in several different places, some of which are print magazines, but there are also a few available online. And if you would like to read some of them, I have published a post on my poetry site, note the alliteration there, where I include details of all the new poems and links to the ones that you can read online. There's also a video of me reading at the Ambit Poetry Competition event. I was commended in the competition, so they kindly asked me to read. And this video captures my first live poetry reading since the pandemic. So, you know, it was a really special moment to be there with a live audience once again. So if you want to read my poems and watch that video, then you can find them all via this link, 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash new poems. One more great poetry project that I've done was a collaboration with the sculptor Sheena Devitt. We made a poem sculpted in sandstone. Well, Sheena did the heavy lifting of chiselling it into the stone, and we exhibited it at the Lettering Arts Trust in southwest England. Sheena is an amazing artist and sculptor. You can see her work at SheenaDevitt.com. That's S H E N A D E V I T. And if you'd like to see the piece we made together, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash sculpture. Right, later in the show, we have that inspiring interview with Earl Abrahams. But before that, I have something to say to you about the pain of rejection. 
A lot of creative professions involve submitting work to gatekeepers of various kinds. Agents, editors, publishers, gallerists, funders, producers, studios, competition judges, and so on. Yes, the 21st century does give us plenty of options for creating things without gatekeepers. You can sell direct, build your own platform, run your own event, self-publish or whatever. And we've covered a lot of them on this show. But that's not the game we're playing today. Today, we're assuming you've considered the alternatives and you've decided that here is an opportunity worth pursuing. Worth submitting and waiting and hoping that whoever is on the receiving end will love your work enough to say yes. My own experience of this is submitting poems to magazines and competitions because that's how the poetry world works here in the UK and how I can reach the hardcore poetry readers. And rest assured, I've had my share of rejections. And just about every week, I talk to coaching clients who are wrestling with rejection. Often serial rejection. Because if an opportunity is really worth pursuing, there will be a lot of competition for it. Rejection is normal, even for highly talented creatives. But it doesn't necessarily feel that way when yet another no lands in your inbox. Firstly, there's that feeling like a punch to the gut. And on a bad day, the inner critic starts up, doing its best to make things worse. Of course they said no. What were you expecting? Why did you think you had a chance? How much longer are you going to keep banging your head against a brick wall? And so on. Ad nauseum. From observing my own experience, as well as having worked with hundreds of creatives on this issue, I've noticed that a lot of these anxieties boil down to one deeply depressing thought. My work wasn't good enough. As if that's not bad enough, it's not long before a further thought occurs to you. And that means I'm not good enough. Ouch! So, today I'd like to examine this assumption. Because that's what it is. You are assuming that the reason your work was rejected was that it wasn't good enough. And it ain't necessarily so. This was brought home to me way back in 2005, when I had the chance to go through the looking glass and edit a major poetry magazine myself. I was on the editorial board of Magma Poetry, one of the foremost poetry magazines here in the UK, and which has a different editor for every issue. And when my turn came in the hot seat, I found myself on the receiving end of a torrent of email submissions and bulging postbags arriving at my front door. The first thing I noticed was how many there were, literally thousands of poems. And I had room for about 60 poems in the magazine. And immediately I felt better about all my own rejections because I realised that with those odds, there was no shame in not being regularly plucked out of the pile of submissions. And 
Over the next few months, as I worked through the poems, it gradually dawned on me that I was going to have too many good poems. In other words, there were more poems that were good enough in terms of writing quality than there was room for in the magazine. So what was I going to do about it? After thinking it over and getting some advice from more experienced editors, I realised there were two other factors at play that would decide which of these many excellent poems would make it into my issue. Firstly, I started to notice patterns emerging in the submissions. Poems by different authors on the same topic or theme that seemed to build on each other or talk to each other. It was as if these poems somehow joined hands and made friends and looked out for each other, whereas others were left on their own, and it it was just harder for me to make a case to include them. Secondly was my personal taste. If the issue was going to be my issue, I had to stand by my own judgment and make the selection of poems I liked the most. Otherwise, what was the point in me being the editor? So I chose the poems I liked, in full awareness that another editor would probably have done a similar job of sifting out the well-written pieces, but could have made a radically different selection of poems from that pile of excellence. If you want to read some of the poems I selected, you can find some excerpts from Magma, issue 34, online at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash magma. And ever since that experience, I've taken account of these other factors when preparing my own submissions and also helping coaching clients with theirs. I think of the process in terms of a triangle, comprising quality, context, and taste. When I'm focused on a submission, I call it the triangle of aspiration. (laughs) And when it's time to deal with a rejection, it's the triangle of consolation. So, let's think about your next submission with the triangle of aspiration. So, starting with the first point of the triangle, with quality. Ask yourself, is this the best work I can possibly do? You have to learn to set aside your ego, to be a relatively objective judge of your own efforts. It's not easy to do this, so if you are starting out, you need to find a teacher or mentor or someone else whose judgment you respect to give you high-quality feedback. Outstanding quality is necessary but not sufficient. And it's the point on the triangle that you have the most control over. So it's up to you to do what it takes to get your work to the highest level you can. Practicing, taking courses, getting feedback, whatever. Okay, next point. Consider the context. The key question here is, how does my work relate to the bigger picture. Maybe the platform or venue you are applying to is known for a particular style or genre of work. Or maybe a competition or magazine or event has a specific theme or topic. 
Sometimes the theme is optional, but even if that's the case, your chances of success go up significantly if your work is on theme. Because clearly, you are solving the gatekeeper's problem by giving them what they are looking for. Or maybe they're looking for work from a particular type of person, representing a specific type of lived experience, in terms of cultural background, gender, sexuality, or something else. If you happen to belong to that group, then again, you can help the gatekeeper by sending in your work. Another thing you should be aware of is current hot topics and trends in your creative field. If you have work that aligns with one of these, then that could give you an edge in certain venues. And I want to be very, very clear about this. I am not saying you should write to market or create art that hops on the latest trends and fads. That is a slippery slope to compromise and selling out. I'm not talking about deciding what to create. That's a question for another day. I'm talking about deciding what to do with what you have already created. So in my case, for example, I write whatever poems come to me and I am very grateful for what comes. I don't really have all that much control over it. But once I have a stack of poems ready to send out, at that point, I think carefully about where to send them, where they are most likely to be welcome. Final point on the triangle. It's worth considering the personal taste of the selector. Because regardless of quality and context, it really, really, it really, really helps if they actually like your work. Now, taste is obviously subjective, it's idiosyncratic, it's, it's unpredictable. So on one level, there's nothing you can do about it. But what you can do is take into account what you know of the judge's taste when deciding where to send your work. Maybe you know their work already. You know they are known for a certain style of work or a certain theme. And that means, you know, there's a chance that they like that stuff. They may like yours too. If you haven't heard of them before, take time to research their work and also look for interviews with them because these can be very revealing about what they like and what they don't like. So that is the triangle of aspiration or of consolation, if that's the kind of day it is. Quality, context, taste. And you need all three to get to a yes, not just the quality part. So, once more with feeling, just because your work got rejected, it doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't good enough. There are three factors at play, and there are things you can do about all three of them. So now the podcast season is well underway, and work is also underway in the 21st Century Creative Members Group on Patreon. Last week, we all shared the goals that we are going to be working on for the rest of the season, and it was really great to hear about all the amazing projects that the members are working on. The thing I like most about the Patreon group is that 
it changes the 21st century creative from a, a broadcasting, podcasting medium to more of a conversation where I get to hear from you, the people who listen to the show and make it all worthwhile. And it's not too late to join us. You can still sign up and join the group and share your goal and commit to making it happen by the end of the season. And you'll get plenty of encouragement along the way from the other members of the group, as well as from me. I am also currently taking questions for the first Q&A session. So if you have a question you would like to ask me, then you can send it to me in the group and I'll respond in one of the Q&A videos. As I said last week, I want to keep the group as accessible as possible. So for this season, I am keeping the membership fee as a pay-what-you-want subscription. So there's a minimum contribution of just $1 per episode or the equivalent in your currency. If you are in a position to contribute more and you would like to do that, that would be terrific. All the funding goes towards the production of the podcast. But I have deliberately set the bar low so that if you want to, you can join us. And there is also an option to contribute to the show without joining the group. I added this because a few people said that they wanted to help support the show, but the group's not really their thing, which is a lovely thing to do and very much appreciated. So on the members page, you will also find an option to contribute to the production costs without joining the group. You can find out more about the 21st Century Creative Members Group at patreon.com slash the 21st Century Creative. That's patreon.com slash the 21st Century Creative. I'd love to see you there. Lockdown was tough for all of us, but some of us have been luckier than others. If you were a writer or an artist or consultant used to working from home, you may have been able to keep working uninterrupted. But what if the essence of your work is interaction with other people, with the spaces and buildings, and even the traffic of a big, bustling city? That was the problem facing Earl Abrahams, an artist who photographs people and places in his home city of Johannesburg, South Africa. Earl is an artist working in lens-based media. His practice spans film and photography and investigates the intersections between race, identity, the state and social mobility. He is an official Fujifilm X photographer and has showcased work in Paris through an exhibition titled Créateur en Mouvement, which was arranged through the Swedish Institute in 2018. He also took part in an online group show titled Habitat At during lockdown in 2020 with BKHZ. He has also worked as a photographer and camera operator to create marketing campaigns for brands such as Fujifilm, SAB, KFC, Aldo, MTN and Vodacom. 
Most of his photographs are taken in spaces whilst moving. He walks and skates the city streets and even hitches a ride on his skates from vehicles in fast-moving traffic. We have some videos of Earl skating through the city. You should definitely check them out in the show notes. It's quite an adrenaline rush to just watch the videos. Goodness knows what it feels like for Earl on those skates. And this way of working produces images with an incredible energy and vividness and authenticity. As well as his own photography, Earl is making a series of short films about other South African artists and their process, which you can see in the process section of his website, earl-abrahams.com. He also films news segments around the city and videos for corporate clients. So on a typical day, he's really out there and engaging with the people and the life of Johannesburg. And then suddenly, in early 2020, all that was taken away from him. There was a strict, heavily policed lockdown in Johannesburg, and he found himself confined to his apartment block and its parking lot. In response, Earl used his camera as a window on the world, documenting the experience in a remarkable series of photographs, which became known as the Lockdown series. As he tells me in this interview, photography became his place of solace that kept him grounded and gave him an outlet for his emotions at a time of anxiety and uncertainty. The images are quite remarkable, some of them almost abstract, you know, in the way that he's framing a restricted field of vision inside his apartment and with also glimpses of the city outside. Again, you can find some of these photos in the show notes and more of them on Earl's website. But Lockdown Series wasn't just a personal project because Earl shared the images on Instagram and then started selling prints online, which helped sustain him financially during lockdown without government support. As you'll hear in the interview, Earl's art was firstly a way of making sense of his isolation and then a way to connect with the outside world, touching other people's lives and sustaining himself emotionally as well as financially. He also talks about new collaborative projects he started, including Redefinition, a remarkable video art piece that grew out of the lockdown series, made in collaboration with poet Tony Giselle Stewart and flexpressionist and dancer C-Flex the Artist. Again, you can find the video in the show notes and the full project on Earl's website. As well as talking about his own journey through the pandemic, Earl shares some valuable thoughts on how we can all keep going in difficult circumstances by trusting our creativity and our connections with other people to see us through. Earl, how did you get started on your creative path? So 
you know, I like to backtrack to like childhood specifically because I mm-hmm. think that those are amazing connection points to help you understand um, where you find yourself within your creative path. So one was I, I remember always drawing at home and being so excited to show my grandfather my drawings. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that that form of expression kind of still finds its way in what I do today. That was one. And the yeah. second part was skating. Like skating was such a big introduction to the creative world. Um, you know, so I mean, when I say skating, I mean inline skating. So a lot of people think it's skateboarding. Um, yeah, I did the whole trick skating ramp. They called it aggressive inline skating or aggressive uh-huh. skating. So I yeah. did the whole trick-based stuff, grinding, etc. Mm-hmm. I still do it. But um, skating as a whole was such a, an amazing introduction to the creative world. One, it was, you know, taught me how to shoot stills and video. It introduced mm-hmm. me to an arts community, which I was never exposed to because I was, I grew up in an area called Bontiobo, which is on the Cape Flats. Um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Cape Flats and, you know, how, how that came about in terms of the group editors. Lots of us won't be, so do tell us, please. Yeah, so I mean, like, the, the how the Cape Flats essentially came about, it's, you could call it a, a township or... I think in the States they would call it a hood, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but um, I'm not sure what it would be in, in, in London or other parts of, of the world. But it was basically a community that was established through the Group Areas Act um, during the apartheid regime, mm-hmm. um, where all people of color were designated to very specific areas. Um, right. You know, sometimes I view it as concentration camps. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. but um, yeah, it's a it's a community that 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 I spent most of my formative years in. That I am so grateful for because mm-hmm. it it showed me so much of who I am and who who I could be. So it's taught me so much about redefining space. And yeah. essentially, skating became that part that introduced me to the creative world. Um, so from skating. You know, I, I did a short course in graphic design. I was always shooting during the time because um, what my mother used to do is she used to get the work camera and, and borrow it to me over, over weekends, which she shouldn't she wasn't right. supposed to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that's kind of how I got into shooting and then just connecting with other people that are in the creative art spaces. Mm-hmm. And that really opened me up to the world of creativity and, and, and discovering my own forms of creativity. And at what point did you start to think that this was something you would want to do professionally? Do you know that that happened by accident? I, I spent, so besides doing my graphic design um, short course, I, I studied community development and I spent quite an extensive time in the development space, um, program development, youth development, and, and on the ground um, basically on the ground development programming that we did in different communities. Mm-hmm. And I came to a point, I think it was about 2015, 2016, where I was really just so exhausted of doing development in the way that I used to do it in that form. Um, I really just wanted a shift and I wanted a change. But throughout mm-hmm. the time of me doing my work, photography was always quite a, it was a huge part of the way that I, I, I saw the world because I, I kind of view it as journal entries. Like it was the way that I journaled. Um, 
And I just decided to take the plunge. I was freelancing as a facilitator within the development sector still. And I decided to take the plunge in signing up for a residency in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what really started me on my journey. The, the uh, photography studio is no longer open. It was called Amplify Studios. And I, I really owe a lot to them for allowing someone like me into a space that has no background in art. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of only has like steep knowledge of the people that I've connected to, which I still feel as knowledge because I think that sometimes knowledge can be quite, can be boxed in. We have these different institutions that, um, how do I say, not vie, but have control over knowledge production and what knowledge is. Mm-hmm. So my street knowledge coupled with, you know, knowledge that I've gained along the way um, through connecting with people, yeah, I'm so grateful that they allowed me in to explore my craft. And through that process, I developed a body of work titled Colored In, mm-hmm. which, um, which, which was looking at the impact of the Group Aiders Act on so-called colored people. Um, mm-hmm. And that's still a term, a racial term that is used in South Africa. It's one of the boxes, you know, even right, in the forms right. that we still have to tick. Okay. You know, and and I, would, I would be seen as colored in specific certain contexts. Um, mm-hmm. Especially in Cape Town, more more so in Cape Town than in Johannesburg, because I think Johannesburg is such a melting pot that you can't really define as like who are you, which box do you fit in, you know. <laughs> um, so I was really using that project as a way of unpacking my box that I've mm-hmm. been boxed into, uh-huh. and also looking at that in in reflection to other boxes that people find them in, because essentially these boxes have not been decided for by ourselves. We've been colored into these boxes. You know, my question is, how do we color outside of the lines of these spaces and these, these, these worlds that have been created for us? And where did you get to with that through the photography? So I produced a body of work, had a show um, after, after my residency. It went fairly well. Um, and that's, that really got me. I think that that gave me the confidence in order to say, hey, Cool. I have an idea. I can do it mm-hmm. if I just put it in motion, even though I don't yeah. have a plan fully laid out. And from there, I decided to take the plunge in moving up to Johannesburg. Um, so at that time, a previous partner, a next partner of mine, she was um, wanting to make the move to Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, I'll go along because <laughs> at the moment I was freelancing and I didn't really have much to do. So yeah. with her support, with family support, I decided to make the move to Johannesburg and pursue this wild idea of being a photographer, artist. I, I, like I said, I'm still trying to define mm-hmm. where I'm finding myself within this whole world, but I decided to make the move to Johannesburg. And from there, I got more involved in the film sector. Um, than the photography sector at that point. Um, so it was working as a loader, um, which is helping the, um, let me, let me just backtrack. <laughs> so from there, I got more involved in the film sector and the commercial sector and mm-hmm. working as a camera operator, working as a loader and yep. doing behind the scenes photography. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what really got me, got me, on, on course in trying to solidify my position in Johannesburg as well. And so film has turned into a creative interest as well, hasn't it? I mean, it sounded like 
maybe you were getting into it as a way of making a living when you first came to the city, but mm -hmm. can you talk a bit mm -hmm. about the relationship between film and still photography in your work? I, I do see them as separate mediums. I don't, I don't see them as kind of one, like one medium. I, mm -hmm. I, and I gravitate to each one specifically depending on what I'm wanting to achieve. Um, like I said, sometimes I view photography as these journal entries. So what I normally do is if, so I've been shooting a lot of artists quite extensively during this time. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've been using photography as is that initial steps to understanding and grasping who the person is that I'm going to interact with. Um, mm -hmm. So it's these kind of small steps before I actually um, document it through moving images. And uh, yeah, the, the video component is, 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 is something that has really come, up, come, come to me in the past six years um, and has become quite an important part of the way I see the world. So it's, it's not only just in the, arts, the art, artists that I document, but it's also in me documenting myself while on my skates through the city, um, giving people an experience that they might not have in other ways. Right. I think... Because I've seen some pretty amazing footage of you skating through the city. Can, can you talk a bit about that and how that is bound up with the work itself? And maybe we, we can put some video in the show notes if we have some. So, you know, that, that just came about of me, like wanting to explore Johannesburg mm -hmm. as a city. Um, so I know that a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what the city is, that it's not safe, that it's this, that it's that. But to me... I wanted to kind of challenge myself to experience the space in an unconventional way. So I, like I said, I, I journey through the city on my skates, filming myself, whole, hanging on to taxis, you know, interacting with people along the way. And for me, it's just all these forms of self-discovery. Um, I, I, there's not there's not really one particular intention. The intention is to go out and discover. Well, Maybe that's it, an intention, discovery. Discovering something is an intention. I mean, it strikes me looking at, at some of the film and hearing you talk, you really put yourself on the line there for your work in, in quite a, a bold and physical way <laughs> as well as, you know, socially mm. even just interacting with people like that. What, mm. what do you think that brings to mm -hmm. the, the kind of work that you create? As opposed to you know sitting safely at safely at home in the studio with a you know a model arranged or or whatever. It's a beautiful question. Sure, I think interaction is such an important part of my work. Mm -hmm. I need something to interact with with its space, with its people. Um, even backtracking to my coloured body of work, my interaction was collaboration with my with with the with the uh -huh. sitter. Who, is, who are the people that I was photographing? Because I, 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 within the world of even documentary photography, my focus is always documenting people with their permission. So there's a saying, I can't remember who mentioned it, but it says, it says nothing about us without us. And that has stayed with me yeah. for a while where I'm like, I can't document people without their permission. Um, so yeah, like I think that my interaction and collaboration is such an important part of my work. And, and that's what I'm trying to do, even just with the skating and filming and just trying to experience my world in a new way. And so if we can fast forward, if you like, to 
late 2019, early 2020, what was your practice and your business looking like at that point? And what were your plans for 2020? Mm-hmm. So my practice at that point, I was still working within the film industry and I had quite a lot of contacts with agencies and working in the advertising space. So I run a, a production company, a, a mm-hmm. kind of a small shop. Um, and working with different, I was working with different organizations and different agencies, and then also freelancing as a camera operator myself, predominantly within the um, within the commercial and film realm. So I would do this thing called tracking. So mm-hmm. I do it on my skates with the gimbal yeah. and stabilizer. Um, so that was really starting to grow and really starting to pick up, and I was feeling really confident about you know putting a lot of plans in place and wanting yeah. to scale my business. Um, and that's where I was at. I was excited for mm-hmm. the year. <laughs> I, was, I was excited to make things happen. And, you know, then along came something else. <laughs> along came something else. And just before that, that something else. Uh, so are you saying that the film, the advertising work, the agency work, that was going on a parallel track to the art photography? Interestingly, no, it wasn't. I've always had I've always had that as a back burner, you know, like it's something that I would do alongside mm-hmm. the work yeah. that I do for money. Um and kind of just keeping it on side. When I have time off, yeah. I get to my artwork. You know, it wasn't something that I mm-hmm. really prioritized. Um yeah. Well, I like that about poetry is it, it's it's never the poetry's job to pay the bills. And so whenever I do it, it always feels like a release or an escape into my world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what I felt with, with, with my art and my, yeah, because yeah, it's still photography, but still mm-hmm. art at the same time. But that's what I really felt like when it came to work, cool, I'll do it for work, which I enjoyed my work as well, because it was yeah. also a creative outlet. Many times it really sure. just felt like play. And, and when I came back to, my art it was just a natural transition from one play to the next. It's so great if you've got that. I, I often think if you've got more than one creative discipline and they somehow, they're not exactly the same, mm-hmm. there's maybe not a direct link from one to the other, but there's mm-hmm. something about the energy that they can complement yeah. each other. No, I agree with that. Um, because I feel that also what happens is that one craft or one creative outlet also feeds the next. And it's just, it's just, yeah. it's just a beautiful thing. I feel that I, I never stop yes. being creative, you know, because I, I, I have a daily practice of shooting, and that feeds into every single thing, like feeds into the way that I see the world. Yeah, and it's very different, for instance, to people I talk to who, who they say they well, they, they have their non-creative job, the thing that they do for money, and then they do their creativity in the the evenings or the weekends or whatever. And that's great for some people, but it is a very different energy when you're going from feeling, if, if you feel everything you do is creative, but in a different way, that's, that's quite different. Yeah. And I, and I, and I feel that some people that are, that are not in traditional creative work. So I was chatting to a friend of mine who's a lawyer and, and she was like, she's, yeah, she does the least creative thing. I'm like, but there's so many creative elements mm. in, in, in that. I feel like creativity has been so limited. It's in the way that you deal with your clients and speak to your clients. It's in the way that you set up your contracts, the words that you use. And I I feel that creativity has become Mm -hmm. so boxed in 
Um, I mean, before people were scientists and artists. Right, right. So late now it's like you have to choose one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like in Leonardo's time, it was, just, it was just all the same thing. Okay, so there you were at the end of 2019, looking forward to 2020 with a really great balance, it sounds, yeah. between the different strands of your work. And then you say there's something else came along. I mean, how did you first become aware of that something else? I, I, I'm trying to... The way I became aware of it was obviously through the, through the news that was, that, was, that was rolling around through um, what was happening in China at the, at the time. And at that time, I was like, there's no way it will make it <laughs> anywhere else around the world. So that's the right. only place it's going to be. <laughs> Thank goodness it's a long way away. You you know what I mean? (laughs) Lo and behold, um, I think it was March. Can't remember the exact date. I know that I have it in um, in a write up that I did. You know, we had uh, our president, um, you know, speak to the nation, and he made the announcement to say that you know that we're going to be on lockdown. For that, that obviously Corona has made its way mm-hmm. to South Africa, and we'll be we're going to be on lockdown for a certain time. And that, that time, I think it was a I'm not sure if it was a few weeks or if it was a month. I mm-hmm. can't remember the exact time. And I was pretty calm at that point, the mm-hmm. very first point, because um, I was like, okay, cool. You know, it's a good break. It's a forced break, one that mm-hmm. I that one that I need, and. It's a bit awkward that it's happening in the beginning of the year, um, but I'm going to take this break and I'm going to do what I need to do. Um, and it was only after the second announcement that I realized how serious this was um, and how it began to not only just impact my work, but impact my, just the way I viewed myself, my psychology, my, like just mm-hmm. impact my movement, you know? But during the first three weeks, we were obviously like on lockdown because I was living in the city um, at that time in Joburg CBD. And it's interesting, like the city was heavily mm-hmm. policed. So it felt like there were border controls, like when we wanted to access, like exit certain spaces really? during certain time. I was living in an apartment block and it was very, it was heavily mm-hmm. um, monitored. So you couldn't just get out if you wanted to get out. Um, you needed to chat to security. So I would spend like the first two weeks of lockdown, I spent most of my time in the, we had like these four levels of parking lots and I spent my time basically running and exercising Mm -hmm. and skating in the parking lot. Um, That's what I started doing the first three weeks. And then when after, like I said, after the second announcement, that's when I started to realize how serious this really is. So what was the second announcement? What did they say? So the second announcement, again, details are failing me. We were going to be on, a, on another extended lockdown, right, right. you know, um, with a lot more kind of serious protocols, etc. Mm. And that's when I realized that, one, I couldn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I literally couldn't work. Yeah. Um, so all the plans that I had made, literally went down the drain. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me actually go back before the lockdown was actually announced. Um, Cause we had the, the president was going to obviously speak. I had a conversation with my family in Cape Town and they were like, Hey, 
do you want to come home? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, before yeah. they shut things down completely. And I was like, no, I was toying around with it because, but I didn't know what I was going to do back home because mm-hmm. all my connections was in Joburg. So if anything yeah. was to happen or anything was to open up, Joburg would be it. Mm-hmm. Decided to bite the bullet and decided to stay. Um, let me just see, where am I now? Um, so yeah, I realized that I couldn't work. I, you know, there was nothing else that I could do. And I felt like I was going slightly, <laughs> slightly insane and having a little bit of a mini breakdown during that time. Um, and what I decided to do was to put in a serious routine. So after that, after that second announcement, I felt like, I felt like I was losing it a bit because one, my livelihood was dependent on things being open. Um, so yeah, I couldn't shoot, couldn't work, couldn't do any of these things. And what I then decided to do was to really just put in like a crazy routine, um, a daily practice. So mm-hmm. I would get up at six in the morning and start journaling and start reading. From there, I would work out. And I think I had the, <laughs> it was a book, Robin Sharma book, the 5am club that I actually right. started reading during that. And so I was, I was in, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> lockdown or no lockdown, I'm going in. And yeah, I decided to just go ahead in. And then on top of that, I decided to put in a, build in a, um, a daily practice of shooting. So this came from, I think 2017, I really started shooting every single day. So whether it's one image a day, or if I, even if I'm sick and I'm in my bed, I grab a shot of the of of the light coming through the window. Really? Um, so I really just made this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's hardcore. <laughs> no shit days. So I really just nay, no shit. Day. I mean, like I had off days, but I I really had off days. Like even with me now, I have my camera with me mm-hmm. um, while doing this interview. I'm like, I needed to, I needed to make it a habit and a way of being able to express myself. Because what I found was that sometimes I found that journaling through words was something mm-hmm. that didn't fit for yeah. me during times. And photography and the art of making pictures really just came became a way for me to see my space in a different way. So I would document my space within my, my apartment. And then, like I said, luckily I was able to go outside, uh, not outside, but like, within the parking lot. So I started yeah. documenting the parking lot, mm-hmm. um, documenting things over the wall, people mm-hmm. that are cruising in the streets, they were kind of not allowed to be there, but we have a big homeless population. Uh-huh. So I made sure to docu- like document people in spaces, but moving through shadows and moving through spaces. And that made me ask very particular questions about, um, Who's in the shadow? Like, so there was just certain things. Who's in the shadows that exist within our within our public? Um, thinking about light and form, I started seeing my building in a very different way because every day I would go past the same pillar and see the light hit it in a particular way, and then go there maybe two hours later and see the light reflecting against the wall in a completely different way as well. So I would use the walls and the wall as my subject, and yeah. use the natural light as this relationship or this collaboration between light and, and, and materiality. Wow. 
Okay, so there's a couple of things I want to pick up on here. One is the the value of the routine. And this is something, as, as you were talking, it brought it back to me that for years and years, I, you know, I've been working with freelancers and also I've been through this myself with the question, what do you do all day when you haven't got a boss? when there's no clock in, clock out time. <laughs> and one thing I came to realize, and, I, and I've been saying to clients for years, is you need to put some hard edges in your day. Because, no, you know, you need to have that kind of routine. Otherwise, it's so easy to, to lose yourself and lose the day and, and lose your, your motivation and energy. And it strikes me how, how important that was in lockdown, specifically in, in your description, that you said, okay, the, this is going to be the, the routine that I'm going to put in place for myself. And then the other thing that I'm even more interested in is it sounds like even though you were so restricted in space where you could go, you couldn't see people, you, you, you weren't able to interact, because it strikes me that word interaction is so important to your work from earlier in the conversation that was all taken away from you but from what it sounds like you were using the camera to to investigate and to interrogate in minute detail in some cases your environment that it was giving you a i don't know as you described it, it sounds like you got really absorbed in in looking at the world up close like this or or from this very restricted angle is is that accurate i mean no that's 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 really correct i think that you you on point um yeah it really gave me an opportunity to see myself in, in a different way and also to step outside of myself because i feel that, that it was an important it was an important way for me to step outside of my myself because if all i'm going to be doing all day is just thinking about the the situation that i'm in mm -hmm. and how things are not working um, and mind you, I wasn't making any money during that time, so it, it was a, it was a it was a really tough seat. Like it was a tough time, time where I had to ask for help, you know, in order to just make it through. Um, so I I I'm grateful that I could I could touch base with family and say, hey, I'm I'm struggling, um, yeah. and that kept me that kept me afloat here and there, and I was also able to from the work the work that I shot because all I did was every day follow, follow the breadcrumbs, follow what I'm feeling, mm -hmm. go dig, 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 shoot, see. Um, and I used that, that work. And I actually started to make a bit of money online, selling it through Instagram. Oh, really? Um, started selling images. Yeah. That's, that's how I stayed afloat during lockdown. Wow. And that was the first part of lockdown before things started to open up here and there. Um, yeah, and then I got involved um, shooting, shooting some new segments for Deutsche Welle. Oh, Do Deutsche Welle is a news agency, German-based news agency, and they have a, um, how, do I, how would I call it? Um, like, I think field reporters or reporters based mm -hmm. all around the world. Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the reporters, um, is based, um, in Johannesburg and he basically produces like these new segments and whenever he needs a camera operator or an assistant to come on board or someone to operate a stabilizer, that's what I come on board and do. Um, so that's what I've been doing, um, quite, quite often for them. Um, because of people, 
seeing what I was doing and the way that I was shooting, they were interested in like, how am I really finding my space within lockdown? Mm-hmm. You know, what am I doing different that other people are not doing? Um, and it's not that I was better off. It's just that I was like, I have to do this in order to survive yeah. and to come out better on the other side. Um, and I, I was just pushing because I think life teaches you that sometimes you don't know what lies ahead, but all you got to do is just follow the process. So that lockdown series that I shot is also helping me to stay focused in this part of my life right now in terms of following the process. And again, it sounds like that this was something that you you reached for kind of instinctively as an artist, almost like, you know, to keep yourself together during this process. But there was also a component where you were sharing it, putting the images out, help, maybe helping other people make sense of their situation, and you were even able to sell them and create new opportunities for your, your freelance work through that. So it really worked on both sides of that equation. 100%. And I, for me, another thing that also stood out was community, you know? Mm-hmm. It made me realize how important community is. Like I had friends that would con- that I could connect with every morning, every afternoon, every evening. Mm-hmm. You know, having a space to share. When we're doing suppers, we're doing video calls. You know, yeah. and, and doing suppers together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so appreciative for technology and what it offered me, um, and it also just showed me and taught me how I can make new friends online organically. Um, and, and with intention and also with integrity. So I, I, community was also such a big, a big foundation that really kept me through because I, I don't know if I would have been able to carry on for that long yeah. without my community. Sure. So can you say something about how you were able to make, because you, you said you made friends organically and with intention and integrity and i think even in normal times people find this a bit of a struggle online um what what, how how did you do that Mm -hmm. i i guess that you know you can only you can connect with people that share so i i would Mm -hmm. connect with people that would share online so i would connect with their work first Mm-hmm. And also kind of, you know, follow the hashtags, follow the breadcrumbs and see what uh-huh. people are putting out there and use that as a point of like touching base and saying, Hey, I really love, I really appreciate your work. You know, um, you know, is it possible that we can stay in touch? That's mm-hmm. one aspect. And I'm, I really love music. So what I, what I, what I've started doing is that connecting with people that are, that are into music as well. Mm-hmm. And then it would be this organic way of sharing on a daily basis or sharing every week. And what I've noticed is that that has created really strong friendships because music is so transcendent. It speaks different languages. It's not only grounded or rooted in one way of communication. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I feel that that's the way I've been. I'm not sure if it answers the question, but that, that's the way that I've been connecting. And maybe it's connecting through culture because there's always something yeah. that needs to connect you to the person. So if I know that someone listens to a particular kind of music, um, I, I, you can really tell something about who they are and the layers yeah. that exist. Because in order for someone to discover this kind of sound, or this kind <laughs> of style of photography, yeah. it's weird. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I shoot a lot of like weird abstract images. And mm-hmm. then there was a guy in the Netherlands. I can't remember his name now, but I have him on Instagram. 
I touched base with him because then I started looking for abstract photographers. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was these connections that I started seeing within myself first, connecting the dots with myself and started seeing outside in the world and started seeing like, hey, these are people that, you know, I could potentially be aligned to and that I could potentially connect with. Mm-hmm. So how has all of this developed since that mm-hmm. initial period of lockdown? And, and also just to maybe put us in the picture, what, how did the lockdown mm-hmm. pattern evolve in South Africa? So, so so as lockdown kind of went on and took its course, you know, things were not completely open yet. I, I started working because of the work that I've been pushing online um, and some of the news work that I've done before for Deutsche Welle. Mm-hmm. Um, DW, there was a friend that I, I recall that commented on one of my images and then we immediately just touched base and it was like, Hey, what are you doing? Are you, are you available maybe to do a segment on, on, uh, maybe your lockdown experience. And that's what kind of led me into the new space again, um, mm-hmm. to, so, so basically he interviewed me on my experience of lockdown, the work that I was shooting and all of these other, these other things that I was doing and what I was doing to stay afloat and to cope with, with everything. Mm-hmm. And it was through that interview that it opened up work opportunities that actually continued throughout the lockdown period mm-hmm. um, uh, until the end of last year that really helped me to stay afloat. And I, and I realized that, yeah, community is such an important thing. Um, and the online community was such an important space to be a part of in order to, to show people what you're getting up to, to show people your work. Um, and as things progressed, the lockdown started kind of calming down a little bit more. So things became slightly open, but like, you know, there wasn't a lot of productions happening mm-hmm. um, at that point. Um, but I was still, so then I started getting into doing like a lot of COVID content. So going into corporate shooting kind of COVID corporate videos, um, uh-huh. as a means of communication tools to the employees. Uh-huh. So that's, that's what really also kept me busy during the time and still throughout that period, still shooting, um, I actually traveled quite extensively. Um, during the COVID period, um, doing a lot of new segments um, with Deutsche Welle, which, like I said, which also really assisted and aided me to to get out there and to do to have work. Yeah, so, the, so there was a big shift for me when I realized that there was, even though I was having getting work, there were, but there was a lack of consistency and there was a lack of control that I had in determining how I could run my production company or what I could do. And obviously throughout the period I was doing my art and I actually decided to set up like a online, I kind of see it as a residency now, but like an online collaboration between two artists. Mm -hmm. One was a contortionist and one was a poet. And what I had them do, (laughs) what I had them do was respond to three of my images. So, I actually didn't mention this. So I, a part of some of the lockdown work was I had an, I, I took part in an online exhibition with a gallery in Johannesburg called BKHZ Gallery. Mm-hmm. And three of my pieces was um, showcased on the platform. Mm-hmm. And then what I did was during the, gal- during the exhibition, I decided to collaborate with, with two artists, as I mentioned, one contortionist, one 
poets and I asked them to respond to my work. And so some of the money that I made um, from selling my prints, I actually made sure to pay them for their collaboration. It wasn't much, yeah. but I was like, you know, we're really not working and you're yeah. giving me your time, you're giving me your energy mm-hmm. and you're actually pouring into this. Um, so I, I paid them for their contribution. And so it worked in a way where they, every week, I think we did it for like a month or two, but it extended for a little bit. So every week, every second week, they will get, send me journal entries, mm-hmm. like a voice note, telling, like saying where they're at within their process, um, reflecting on the images, what are, they, what are they gaining from that? Because essentially the, the, the three images or the title of the three images were called redefinition. And yeah. I had them think about how are, they redef- how are they redefining themselves, their space, or yeah, within the COVID situation, within the pandemic. Um, and that was a really that was a lot of fun. So they put together. Um, so Tony Stewart did the soundscape. Um, she did the um, the poem, and mm-hmm. then Conway did the, the the movement, the dance. And then Tony was actually the one that put the video together, kind of layered the sound with mm-hmm. the video. And then I just kind of put the final bits and bobs together. But it was such a beautiful and fun project to work on. It's it's mesmerizing, that final video. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So obviously I will link to it. It's called Redefinition, right? And I'll make sure we have a link in the show notes so folks can go and watch it. So basically you've got a spoken word poetry over footage of this, is it Conway, the, the contortionist? And... And it's 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 he's almost like the frame of the the film is like a box that he's inside, and the range of movement that he comes up with is extraordinary. Um, and it really res- I won't say too much, but it really feels like it resonates with the poem as well. Um, that was a beautiful thing to do, Al, to connect people and start making you work in that way in the midst of all of this. Mm. It really was. It felt that. I got so much from that. And let me actually, so Conway's, his, his um, artist name is Flexpression. So I hope he doesn't mind me calling him yeah. Conway. Flexpression. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, Conway, if, <laughs> if I said that you But working with them was it, was, it was such a joy, challenge. It was, it was really a relationship because as they were looking at the work, and as they were needed to kind of respond with work, there's a tension that takes place, especially the time that we're in, like we having to produce during a pandemic and stay productive and do all these things. It's hard. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not, it wasn't the easiest thing, but I, I commend them for pushing through. I commend them for, for showing up the way they did. Um, and I, and I, and I, cause I know that that project, is something that I'm thinking about now this year in terms of the work, the way that I want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I owe a lot to to that period and and, and what they gifted me with um, to also realize that my work has value. Yeah, you know, I, I can say that to myself and say that for myself, but without the viewer and the interaction with the viewer, there's a disconnect. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so I need, once again, that interaction is so important. Mm. So looking back on this whole period, what, I mean, one of the themes of this season is I, I really hope that 
given what we've all been through, that we all come out of it with more choices and possibilities than we had before. What would you say you have learned from the whole process and particularly anything that you say, well, I'm going to carry that forward in my future work? I think that one, <laughs> follow the breadcrumbs there. Eh? Hmm. That's, 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 that's just kind of stays in my head. That's like this pigeon that's, you know, bobbing the head down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> just yeah. picking at it, but still having enough headway to kind of look around, but like following the breadcrumbs has been such an important thing for me. Um, Cause now what's happened. I, I, I started, I started my honors in fine arts this year and there's there's so much that has shifted and that actually came through a conversation that i had with a friend of mine in 2020 who i also met online um mm -hmm. met offline first and then we reconnected online um yeah. and i i think he was the one that brought up he's like he liked my work and we were chatting and i think i spoke to him like in 2018 about wanting to study and he kind of just started reminding me I was like hey have you thought about getting back into your studies again. And I was like, yeah, but I don't know how, how am I going to afford it? All of these excuses. Mm -hmm. um, so lockdown essentially gave me that opportunity to really reflect on like what is really important to me. And 2021 was when we picked up the conversation again. And it was like, yo, it's now or never. <laughs> and because I had that process of following yeah. the breadcrumbs and not really knowing what lies ahead, mm -hmm. yeah, I decided to take the plunge to apply, send in my work, and I got accepted to to study this year. So Fantastic. I'm yeah, I'm again in a space where I'm I'm in I'm in deep waters, mm -hmm. but what I know is that I need to follow the breadcrumbs and I need right. to follow that process. Because um, now I'm having to develop a new body of work that is in line with my research and trying to figure out within this new world, how do I, how do I make this happen? But I go back to that same thing, follow the breadcrumbs, follow the process. Um, so I've learned to stay committed to that um, when, I, when, I find my, when I find my back against the wall. Just real trust in that, isn't there? You know that yeah, it... Yeah, I, because it's... it's that uh, mm. it's going to lead to something bigger, even if you can't see it. That's the thing. I, I think sometimes it leads to clarity as well. Um, and, and I think that that's what, that's the most important thing, like clarity about what I'm trying to do. What is my intention? And I've seen it in every single stage. Like I've seen it with, seen it with my body of work that I created um, when I was doing my residency with Amplify Studios. I, I didn't know what, I, what, what the work would look like, mm -hmm. but I, 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 I knew that I needed to trust the process. And actually, it's not easy. Trusting the process is not, a, it's not an easy thing. And, and I know it's, like, it's easy for me to say, but even till today, I'm struggling with, with that idea. But I, I go to studio almost every day and I'm like, cool, I need to produce, I need to work on this idea and, mm -hmm. and start to do, develop it further. And trusting that that will connect to something else in the future. Well, I think the breadcrumbs have done a pretty good job. <laughs> well, you've done a pretty good job of following them through. This, this has been an amazing story, Earl. Uh -huh. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. No, I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Mark. So I think this would be a great moment, Earl, for you to share your creative challenge 
for our listener. So if you're listening to this and if you're new to the show, then this is the point where I ask my guest to set you, dear listener, a creative challenge. And the challenge is something that you can do or get started on within seven days of listening to this conversation. It's going to be on the theme of the interview. And it's designed to stretch you creatively, maybe professionally, and very likely also as a person. So, Earl, what is your creative challenge? I think it's, it's linked. It might not be one challenge. It, might, it kind of might be linked together. Mm-hmm. The first thing is to not, put too, to not put too much pressure on yourself surrounding the idea or your craft that you're working on. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. So, and maybe this is surrounding the idea of play. So my, yeah. my, my challenge is whatever your craft whatever your mode of communicating is, um, if you're a photographer, if you're a poet, give, your, give yourself time to play each and every single day with your craft. Mm. Go to that space with, with, with no pressure on yourself or try to not put pressure or apply pressure on yourself. Yeah. And utilize that, that space of play for the next month with even two months, with not any expectation, but to play. Right. So I, 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 don't, I don't care where you do it or where they do it. They can do it at home. It would be interesting for, for play to happen in different spaces. But use your craft as a form of play. And then maybe what, what we can do is they can contact you or me within the next two months and see what that has developed into. Allow the play to speak to you essentially. That would be lovely. I tell you what, the comments are always open on the show notes after this interview for at least 30 days. Sometimes it closes down because of spam. Um, but if, if you're listening to this and within 30 days, then you would like to leave a comment um, to tell us or show us what you've been up to, that would be a lovely thing to do. And I th- I'm also thinking that the play doesn't have to be, don't put a time limit to it. You know? mm-hmm. Whether it's two minutes of play, because that's all you have time for, because your kids are waking up. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, 20 minutes of play in the evening, whatever it is, create, create a world where you can really just get lost in. Um, I get lost in my world through music as well. So that's mm-hmm. something that really gets me tuned into my 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 own language of play so for me it's going out to shoot and reviewing those images playing music printing those images on little polaroids and sticking it into my book and just thinking about what is my eye seeing because that frames every part of my journey and frames my life in the way that i see the world and that has an impact so play 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 beautiful Thank you so much, Al. So, look, I'm sure plenty of people are now listening and thinking, I want to see more of this man's work. So where can people go to find you online? So they can either check my website, which is um, www.earl-abrahams.com. And then all my details are on there. I think that even in the show notes, I'll put my, will insert my Instagram handle because Instagram and my website is the only two platforms that I really interact with. And then if they want to stay in touch, they mm-hmm. can contact me on my email, which is abrahams.01 at gmail.com. 
but I'm sure that that will be in the show notes as well. Brilliant. Okay, we will make sure that is all in the show notes and maybe some nice images and video from your work. So thank you so much, Earl. It's been a really inspiring conversation. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mark, man. It means a lot. You have been listening to the 21st Century Creative, hosted by Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's episode with more about my guest, as well as all the backlist episodes at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, then I hope you will subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and take a few seconds to swipe and leave a rating for the show. If you would like to take the 21st Century Creative Foundation course to help you carve out an original creative career, you can sign up and get the whole course for free at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.